I just loved TV and uh, I could, you know, for me, it was never necessarily a passive experience. I was always, uh, thinking and, and sort of engaging with what I was watching or, or, uh, listening to or playing or reading. So yeah, that's kind of been a through line and a constant in my life. Yeah. I'm just super obsessive about it. And I've always been, I'm not sure where it came from, but for me, when I was a kid, it was comics and just wanting to be an artist. And so I used to draw all the time when I was little and took art lessons and from an early age is about trying to figure that out by reverse engineering these things. And then that just carried to everything else. Hello and welcome to You Can Do It, Do It, a podcast about people whose lives have been transformed by trying something new. Today, we're joined by the hosts of the What Did We Miss podcast, a show about pop culture that Tony and Matt missed growing up. So, Tony, Matt, tell us a little bit about each other. Matt Ferreira is the co-host of What Did We Miss? That's the podcast we host together. He is, by day, a photographer. He's a very good photographer. In fact, that's how we met. He shot my wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to that, he uh, is a... a an amateur filmmaker as well. You, you shrugged. I'm not shrugged. I'm not shrugging. Okay. No. We've worked on some short films and stuff together. Yeah. So. I think that's how uh, our relationship extended beyond the wedding. Yes. Yeah. Moved beyond a client vendor relationship. Yeah. And this that's is all, that's all I got. That's all you got. Yeah. What do you? What does he contribute to the podcast? What does he contribute to the podcast? Mm. Oh, okay. Matt has a on. Matt has a, a depth of of knowledge, especially in in film and music, that uh, can be intimidating, but uh, it, it's also sort of contagious. And I, I've sort of you know learned through our conversations on and off mic. Um, you know, it's helped me sort of become more curious. And I, I was already a fairly curious person when it comes to pop culture, but um, yeah, sort of. He inspires me to be a better movie watcher. Oh, thank Aww. you, Tony. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> this is Tony Pacitti. I met him because I shot his wedding. <laughs> I'm a photographer now. <laughs> Tony's a writer and an editor. Uh, he's worked for Providence Monthly. Um, yeah. And I think like you mentioned, um, our love of film and, and pop culture kind of uh, carried our relationship on past any kind of professional working thing. I think he's really good um, at staring the conversation because I can be really scatterbrained. And I think he's really good at kind of pointing us in the right direction most of the time where I'm just all over the place. Uh, And we need that anchor. (laughs) And he's so quick-witted and really funny and fast on his feet where a lot of times I'm just kind of like, we'll laugh at him and then have no rebuttal because <laughs> I'm trying to think of something and it takes me forever in the moment. You can't be blamed. Everything that comes out of my mouth is a mic drop. So the, the name of your podcast is called What Did We Miss? What Did We Miss? What Did, did We, we miss? miss? That's a great name. What what prompted that name of the show? Uh, the name? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we basically played roulette with a bunch of other names and found that out were they taken. were also, <laughs> they were podcasts with a similar idea. We ran through a whole bunch. The The first one we were working with was Pop Culture Blind Spots, which we sort of kept in our our tagline, um, but that was spoken for. Um, yeah, several iterations of different versions of the same idea until we landed on 
what we ended up with. But the concept has always been the same. It's always been sort of an exercise for us to go beyond um, sort of our comfort zone, certainly, but, um, you know, even to explore some not necessarily deep dives, but just, yeah, stuff that we have always sort of been aware of or had on the periphery of our sort of uh, pop culture consumption, but hadn't yet, for one reason or the other, taken taken the leap into. Um, it, it was especially realizing that two lifelong Star Wars fans hadn't seen George Lucas's first movie. We we're like, okay, so yeah, maybe this is a, a good idea. So that was that was the one that kicked it off. It was THX. THX, yep. It's weird. I uh, can't imagine Disney making a ride about that one. Yeah. <laughs> they should. Yeah. Where they like poke you in a white room with a cattle prod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very 1984, very bleak. Why have you guys always been interested in pop culture? I don't know. I didn't like outside. <laughs> I, I, was always, uh, I was always a TV kind of kid or I was always reading. At a very young age, I sort of developed a, an interest and an excitement around the way movies are made. Um, and that sort of carried through, uh, you know, when I was in high school, sort of discovering smaller independent filmmakers. I just loved TV and uh, I could, you know, for me, it was never necessarily a passive experience. I was always uh, thinking and, and sort of engaging with what I was watching or, or uh, listening to or playing or reading. So, yeah, that's kind of been a through line and a constant in my life. Yeah, I'm just super obsessive about it. <laughs> and I've always been. I'm not sure where it came from. But for me, when I was a kid, it was comics and just wanting to be an artist. Uh, and so I used to draw all the time when I was little and took art lessons. And from an early age, is about trying to figure that out by reverse engineering these things. And then that just carried to everything else. And I've always just wanted to do everything. So I've tried just about anything in the art field. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've sculpted, I've painted, I play music, um, I write, I make short films, I podcast now. <laughs> so like, it's always just about like learning all these new things to apply to each other. So as a photographer, watching movies, that inspires my photography. But that those storytelling components from photography and movies also inspire my songwriting. They all inform each other. Um, but I just can't get enough and it's always more, I, you know, it's obsessive and sometimes it's problematic because it's, you know, I consume a lot. It's almost like feeding an addiction doing this show. It really is. Yeah. 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 yeah kind of. And, and, and I think more than anything for me, it's sort of, um, you know, I, I sort of was recognizing that that curiosity was, uh, you know, ebbing a bit. Mm. And I think this keeps me, keeps me honest for, you know, I'm, I'm, the, the very nature of the show sort of forces me to watch or read or listen to something I may not have otherwise chosen or mm. just for one reason or another had never gotten to. And, and it keeps me from falling into patterns. Uh, you know, it's easier now than ever to just listen to the same music, just throw on like the same comfort TV show while you're eating or like before bed or, or something mm. like that. And what would that be? Oh God! Uh, if I can't sleep, I'll throw Futurama on. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. something I, something I've seen so many times that I know I can fall asleep to it and not feel bad about it, as opposed to watching something <laughs> for the show or or watching something new and 
you know, sort of, uh, yeah, wanting, wanting to actively engage in it. Something I can passively kind of throw on in the background. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't know that that active engagement was ever super encouraged, uh, growing up. My dad likes some cool stuff, but he doesn't necessarily, um, kind of have that drive to talk about it. Uh, and that was always sort of, that was the thing for me was, oh, I want to, I want to talk to somebody about this. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, I, I, I wasn't as prone to getting my hands dirty with stuff like Matt was, um, you know, I dabbled a little bit, made a couple of dumb short videos when I was in high school and stuff mm. like that. But, uh, a lot of times it was just the conversation that was always fun. It was just kind of bullshitting with a friend about, uh, you know, what we watched, what led the, the creator to that, you know, what were the sort of, uh, the inspirations and the, the jumping off points from there. And it's all kind of a rabbit hole. Mm. So. Yeah. I think again, along those lines, it's just like when you learn f from, when you watch something and, and you love it and my next reaction has always been to, to read as much as I can about it and learn about it whether it's from critics, um, cultural commentators, or the people directly responsible for making it. And that leads you down more rabbit holes. So if you read an article with an interview with Tom York from Radiohead, and he says, well, this song was inspired by Nina Simone, and there's really no connection between Radiohead and Nina Simone, mm. I still want to go and listen to Nina Simone. So that's just always been the way for discovery for me. Mm. And I think that's what we're trying to do on the podcast too, is just like, we're always talking about rabbit holes. Like, oh, what does this lead to next? What does this keep leading us to? And hopefully being open to new forms of art. Pop culture, at least like, I don't know, for me, like when I think about like pop music, right? It's like the hits, like Michael Jackson, Prince, like, I mean, maybe Prince isn't pop music, but like popular. those two hits of, of popular um, music. <clears throat> no, but um, I don't know. Katy Perry, Kesha, Backstreet Boys, and Sync, right? Like when when I think of pop culture, that's kind of what I think about. But you know, even talking about like Futurama, sure, it's a primetime TV show, but there and THX, you know, is a very obscure movie by a very popular director. I guess like what's where where do you pick it? What leads down those roads versus like? true quote-unquote pop we talked about that early on because i was like well i was nervous that like oh if we just say pop culture people might assume that it is just super popular things and we don't want to just do that so we only just use it to speak broadly really yeah and i think you know certainly for this first uh i don't know whatever what do you want to call it not a season but this first batch of episodes we worked on like yeah thx is fairly like you said a, an obscure movie by a very popular well-known person but that was the way in for us mm. uh you know we didn't doubt that people were going to know who george lucas was and that would be enough to be like okay that's a star wars guy they're talking about this thing i didn't know he made um we did an episode on queen because outside of the hits and the stuff that was on the radio neither of us had really spent any time with their albums. Yeah. Um, I had no idea Queen wrote as many metal songs as they did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that one song basically was the, 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 the seed of, you know, like thrash metal. Yeah. It's crazy. And I'm sure some metal nerd's going to hear that and be like, 
No, it's more complicated than that. Yeah, I, was, I was actually going to say Bowie, but sure, go ahead. Um, but another recent one we did, we, we did an episode about Penelope Spheris and the movie Suburbia. And if uh, you just throw her name out there, I'm guessing a lot of people aren't going to know who we're talking about. But you say the woman who directed Wayne's World, and everyone's like, oh, okay. So like that was sort of the way in. You know, that's the um, we're using the obvious thing as sort of the the hook to get people in. And, you know, we really haven't taken too deep a dive yet. I would say uh, maybe the the Ursula K. Le Guin episode will have been, even that's like, that, and even that. I think suburbia is probably the, yeah. at at least right now. And either way, I I don't think that either of those are necessarily super deep cuts, but they are sort of below that surface of pop culture. And that's sort of what we want to get to is sort of ease into some, some, some deeper cuts and, and, you know, who knows, maybe get really weird at some point down the I, road. But I also think that like a lot of these things that may seem, you know, a little more niche are kind of, they're still considered by critics to be successful or people still talk about them. People right. still talk about Penelope Spheris or THX 1138 or THX one one three eight has inspired so many people, uh, in, in science fiction movies. So that's our other way in too, is like, not only are we hoping to learn about it and, and have a broader understanding of pop culture and in the history uh, of, of film and literature and, and music, but we're also hoping that we're opening doors for other people that may not have known that. So maybe you come in because <clears throat> maybe you come in because you like, queen and hopefully you'll discover um stanley and jack kirby's run on fantastic four and that's exciting because hopefully we're connecting dots for people yeah so things that were like critically and artistically successful maybe but not necessarily like popularly successful i suppose i mean but again like if we want to talk about something that maybe not a lot of critics love but some do or Mm. or or maybe it's just something that not a lot of people are familiar about and we want to 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 fill in that blank spot, then I think that's something that we'll do. Yeah, we're not above doing super obvious stuff either. We've talked yeah. about um, doing an episode on like boy bands and Britney Spears <laughs> because that that whole scene and that whole you know uh, pocket of of um, you know it was like the the last days of MTV's musical revel- relevance. Right. Um, but that wasn't the music that we were engaging with uh, at that point when it was coming out. So that's that's uh, far from a deep cut, but it's something that we only really have a passing understanding of. Mm. So yeah, if, if it's something that people are are still talking about, whether it be you know the the, the larger you know audience or something that critics keep pointing out. Um, yeah, that's, that's all stuff worth exploring. So, and there's a lot of things like the Ursula K. Le Guin book, which was very popular and has sold many, many copies, but it's just not currently popular. You know, Mm. they came out in the sixties. Uh, and, and that's the other thing too, is hopefully we're going to be exploring things that were popular at one point. And it's strange to think that some old, old movies that no one talks about anymore were way more successful and viewed by more people than a lot of current movies in the theaters are so um we just want to be curious about everything i think it's interesting too like how media has changed over the years right like 
there was a time, maybe you guys remember it, but it was like, I was very little, but when you couldn't watch, like you couldn't watch Star Wars, right? You, you just weren't able to, like you saw it in a theater and that was it. Like that was your experience. Like there was no way to like bring it home and see it. It might be on TV like once a year. And then, you know, VHS came out and someone has a bootleg copy, right? That like you can now watch like over and over and over again. Um, is, is there something to like the way that you, I don't know, you approach media now that makes you nostalgic for another time or like look in different directions, like, you know, books that were popular then, but no longer popular now. Like, is there something to that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's funny. I was, um, my wife and I were trying to find something to watch on Netflix and I was just scrolling endlessly. And I got really irritated by all the thumbnail, like the screenshots that they would use, because none of them are particularly engaging. And I was like, oh, why, why aren't these all like, you know, like the box art that I want this to look like a video store. That's funny, though, because supposedly there's an algorithm that caters it to your personal taste. Mm. So they'll change the art for it based off of other choices that you've made. Oh, then I have some serious self-reflection. <laughs> um, Which is so weird. It is weird. So weird. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do. I, I, I definitely am uh, young enough to not have experienced that that phenomenon of, of only getting to see a movie when it's in theaters and the one time a year maybe that it's on TV. You know, VHS was uh, in full, uh, you know, had fully ascended by the time I was uh, aware of, you know, what was on my TV. Um, shit, what was the question? <laughs> I guess. I guess um... <clears throat> oh, um, yeah, I, I think we do literally have everything that's ever been recorded at our fingertips. And like I was saying earlier, it's very easy to be like, you know what? Let's just start the office again. Or let's watch this thing we've watched a million times because it's it's easy and it's comfortable and it's familiar, and the you know the algorithms are going to feed off of that and it becomes this echo chamber and you're only seeing the same things over and over again. So to fully, you know, uh, to, to get the most out of this technology that we have, uh, the only benefit it has to us is to sort of uh, broaden our our cultural horizons um so we may as well use that to uh you know as much as we can that's sort of where i'm coming from with it yeah i mean it's interesting that you bring up the office because recently it was announced that um i think next year or the year after the office will be leaving netflix and people were just freaking out Mm. which is telling because netflix spends you know, millions of dollars a year on their own stuff and people don't care. They just want this thing that they're, they're familiar with. And they're same thing with friends. It's going to be leaving whatever streaming services on and jumping to one of the other new ones. And people are, yeah. And people are losing their minds because they want that comfort food. And it's kind of a bummer because you hear a lot of people talk about Netflix as is, as in I'm watching Netflix. They're not saying, Oh, I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to watch this. Uh, what do you do for fun? I watch Netflix. Hmm. And that's discouraging for me because it's so limited with its choice and it's kind of dictating a lot of choice to you. Um, 
And as far as like film history goes, like it really doesn't have much beyond the 70s, mm. uh, which is depressing because it's basically saying they're dictating the canon. They're saying this is what's important. This is this art is what you should be consuming. Yeah, but don't you think there are people who are like, oh, I watch TV or oh, I yeah. go to the movies. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But I'm there's there's no way around the fact that it is extremely popular right now and oh, yeah, it is no. the most successful of the streaming services now is that going to be changing soon very well because you know universal is coming out with theirs which Disney. will, uh, disney's having their own and yeah. they're pricing it pretty low and they're yeah. doing packaging things and so and they're gonna have all the like, every, marvel movies yeah. and they own fox and, so everything yeah. is drastically changing yeah. but i think the biggest takeaway is that uh and this is sad for me, and, and this could be a nostalgia thing, but you know the theater experience is is probably going to go away in our lifetime, mm. or at least it might remain as a boutique thing where we'll go see like a repertory screening of two thousand one. We went and saw yeah. two thousand one on seventy millimeter, and that was great. It was amazing. The projectionist came out and was so just like proud and nerdy. <laughs> He's like, "There's seven prints of this movie in the country right now, and they're all shit." except for this one because I know how to take care of my film and like and people are like cheering for this guy like he's a rock star he's where like, was this? it was up in uh, it, was in, it was wasn't it, in Cambridge it was in was um, the Brattle? Somerville was it the Brattle or the Coolidge? no I think it was the Somerville Theater it anyway it was uh, up yeah. in it was up near Boston somewhere and he's he's bragging about the the speaker system behind the screen and again like it was just a room full of nerds and they were they all knew exactly what he was talking about and they were all so excited to be there. Yeah. And it did. Um, I had never seen 2001 on a screen bigger than, I mean, I don't think I'd watched it since college. So it wasn't even, I had never seen it in HD at home, <laughs> never mind on a giant screen yeah. at 70 millimeter. It was, it yeah. was revelatory. Yeah. Mm. The sound system was just yeah. overwhelming. Like your bones shook. Yeah. <clears throat> so it almost seems like that's where maybe things are heading which is okay for cinephiles and film lovers but like for the general public they'll probably be content to stream the new marvel movie on the disney streaming app mm. at some point and that's partly because like the theater going experience kind of sucks now too like they don't care about setting it up properly so there's so many times where um where it's not masked properly which is when it's not in the right aspect ratio so the curtains are open or um so you could see the black bars above it and you shouldn't see that in the theater or there's more and more people on their phones in theaters or they left the 3d lens on the projector so the the image is muddier and darker or i went and saw black klansman last year and it was like slightly out of focus and i went and complained and they came in and they didn't do anything about it so there's a lot of that happening, and, and that's really frustrating. And they don't make any money. They make money off of concessions. So concession prices are just insane. So it, it's, everything seems designed to drive away audiences, <laughs> um, which is a bummer because like, you know, we grew up going to the theater, and it was like, it's like my church. Yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah. It was like it, you knew that it was a special occasion until you were old enough to drive yourself and just throw all your money at <laughs> at the box office yeah um but you know even to the point you were making earlier like uh i remember going to see revivals of uh, disney animated movies yeah. that my parents saw in the theaters when they were you know when they were 
doing revival showings of those. Um, and then that's just to feed the machine so that the kids get excited so that six months later when they're like, it's coming out on video, you get it, you get it for them. And I miss that. I do miss, I would rather see Disney like throw money at a, a really nice cleaned up print of the jungle book mm-hmm. from 50 years ago and throw that up on screen and, you know, do parents into buying the Blu-ray again mm. <laughs> than seeing the, you know, the yeah. quote unquote live action movies. Right. I think too, like the, the biggest, and this isn't a problem. This is obviously a luxury in its way, but it's difficult. And you were talking about this earlier is, is that paradox of choice. Like you have everything available, available to you. Mm. That doesn't make it easy to make choices sometimes. And if there is everything, sometimes you're just going to rely on your old standby and, uh, production companies now are racing to get their stuff up and they're having trouble finding enough people for crews. Uh-huh. And I, f- I forget where I read this. It might have been Vulture or something, but there was this big article about how now with the streaming boom, there's all these production companies that are competing. So when a show ends, these people are off to the next show. Uh, and so they're always trying to get crews. So this has been a difficulty for for production. There's just so much stuff and there's so many sh- new shows and movies that are premiering all the time and it's it, it's becoming near impossible to make choices. And part of what I've always tried to do is is f- find ways, like things that are pointing to me, like a map. This is how you make this choice. And the podcast is great for that because it mm. forces us to make decisions about what we're watching and listening to. And we're doing deep dives. So that's great because you're it's not just a casual viewing it's something that you're engaging with and you're thinking about not just in those two hours or whatever that you're viewing watching or reading but beyond that and that's always a goal because you're getting a better understanding and and that leads down to more things so yeah i don't know that anyone necessarily needs to take as many notes as i did while watching the texas chainsaw massacre (laughs) but i think all of that feeds into informing our conversation um, and hopefully getting people as excited about these things as we are. And a lot of stuff too, especially when it comes to movies or things Matt's seen that I haven't, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a fairly, um, you know, that seems like an obvious, yeah, may, I should have seen that by now maybe. It might be our our most biggest blind spot on the show. I've met a lot of people that have never listened to a Queen album. Yeah, like obviously we both heard Queen, right? But listen to a full album. There's tons of people that have never listened to Queen albums. I'm actually probably in that. Yeah, I've heard like greatest hits, yeah. right? Like mm. I've listened to that all the way but, through. But yeah. Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre is considered one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Um, but again, maybe it's an another thing where you people know that, but not everyone has seen it, kind of thing. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why should it? Uh, why should it matter to people to deep dive into pop culture like this? I mean, I think, you know, in the, I've only listened to a couple episodes, um, but I, I think it's very interesting, the analysis you guys do. But obviously, like, uh, maybe I should be reading, like, a classic book or, you know, doing something more academic, quote unquote. You know, why should it matter to people to spend their time with you and deep dive into this? Like, what is your perspective on that? I don't think it's a matter of... Of it, like, I don't think it's a matter of saying like, oh, this is important. Mm. But I do think that when you 
do a deep dive into something that gives you a greater appreciation for it. So when we're watching stuff, and we talk about this all the time, but you're always, we're trying to approach it from a perspective of what, where's the value in this? So even if you don't like it, you could still come out and say like, well, these things are interesting. And I think that's just a better way to talk about art in general is to look for those things. Because we are talking about a lot of things that are critically adored. Mm. And so you're trying to see, sorry, you're trying to see something that was considered a classic and maybe instead of looking down upon it saying we're better than this because we're older and wiser, we're trying to see where they came from and find an understanding. And I think if everyone kind of approached art that way in a sense of trying to what is this art trying to accomplish uh, and does it accomplish that? I think that helps everyone to appreciate things more and you find more beauty and more art and you find more connections and then you'll find more things that you'll love. And I think that's always the goal like because we're not going to love everything, but the goal is to hope. We're hoping that we love everything. You know, yeah. you want to, you want to find a new favorite because remember that feeling when you find something that you're like, oh, I love this. And then you share it with someone. That's a great feeling. So if you go into everything with that hope of like, this is going to be the best thing ever. And not saying that we're not critical of things, because we definitely are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good to look through that lens of, you know, where's the value here? Yeah, and I think um, I think art is an intimidating word. Uh, I think it suggests uh, more than it should I think my my uh, my least favorite thing to hear whenever there's a discussion online about a movie or, or TV or uh, fairly often comics or video games is that, um, you know, there's that cranky old guy who chimes in with like, go read a book. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are there are there are bad books, too. There are bad movies there are bad comics or bad. There's bad music. Um Good is good, bad is bad, and I think uh, there is a sort of uh, a false understanding of of a sort of hierarchy that doesn't really exist. It's just sort of been put there. There's, you know, prestige pictures. There's the golden age of television. There's um, elevated horror. Elevated horror was the one we discussed recently, um, and then you know, there's stuff that's relegated to garbage. Um, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is... um, Exploitation. Yeah, it's a grindhouse movie, but it's great. And there is some real artistry at play there. Um, (laughs) A controversial sort of great movie consensus around like uh, Speed Racer, which on paper should have been trash, but ended up being much better than it had any right to be. Um, But, you know, you can't, depending on who you're talking to, a person may or may not be willing to have that conversation with you. Um, I think that's the thing too, is like, like there's been like this conversation with modern entertainment uh, that really frustrates me. And it's about realism. You know, is this real enough? Does this make sense enough? And that frustrates me because I think, you can find beauty in things that are are cheap because there's still imagination in there. There's still some passion in there. 
uh, even like Plan 9 from Outer Space has, is just so wacky and you see Ed Wood's personality in it, even though that's considered one of the worst movies ever made. Mm. But it's still, there's still someone that's weird and that's what you're getting from it, that personality. Uh, I rewatched um, like a good 18 Godzilla movies this year, <laughs> all the ones from the 50s to oh the 70s. God. Wow. And they're cheap, but they're always like so weird and inspired and creative on the margins. And I think I'd rather see more of that type of storytelling and filmmaking than something that purports to be realistic for its own sake. And and that's something that's been really frustrating lately. Yeah. uh, I mean, piggybacking off of Godzilla, I didn't, I didn't see the newest one, but the first, the 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 what was it 2014 2015 yeah. mm-hmm. I, I didn't it was boring and like oh see i like that one see i appreciate you know the thing everyone was like oh the, the sense of scale it's like yeah i get it it's a big lizard that's <laughs> he's always been a big lizard but this is not fun and i don't yeah. like there's nothing those old godzilla movies were so campy but it was uh, there was conviction behind that camp oh yeah for sure uh, I, I like the new one's approach. I think it's it has a, a great sense of awe. And and I know you were just making fun of the, the sense of scale, but I think it does this wonderful job of showing what this destruction is like from a viewpoint. And you don't care about the characters, and I think that's sort of the point, because it's about this thing that's coming that you can't prevent. Uh, and it's a stand-in for a, a great many things that are happening right now. I think a big part of these conversations is also to de- to um, to debunk some of our own preconceived uh, notions of some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, case in point would be the episode we did on fish because it's very easy. There are certain pieces of pop culture that are very easy to form an opinion on without having experienced it for yourself. Whether it's, um, you know, because you know you've seen people riff on it on you know late night talk shows or the fan base uh might be off-putting um I mean, fish is a very good example of that yeah exactly yeah. you know i think um there are certain stereotypes with fish fans that um are are and are not necessarily uh valid but you know that all informed my opinion so i I assume I've known about fish since I was about 14 or 15. So for 20 years, I harbored a, an opinion based on nothing. I thought it was a crush. It was, (laughs) man. Yeah. I just had a little, a little secret journal with the, you know, cut out creepy pictures of Trey Trey Anastasio. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, you know, I, I want, you know, I think that's, um, that's a shitty way to operate Mm. to, to just have these baseless opinions and to continue operating as if that's okay. And we're not, we're talking about very small potato stuff here. You know, at the end of the day, um, you're neither a sinner nor a saint for, <laughs> for thinking fish sucks despite not having listened to fish. But uh, I think, it, it, you know, any, on a micro level, whatever <laughs> I can do to sort of get through any of these personal hangups, the better. It, it makes you a better person. You're more well-rounded. Empathy is very important. And in short supply, so yeah. There's this. There's this other conversation in film criticism that's happening recently that I dislike, which is we've solved this, and so a lot of things that we're doing is just trying to talk about our experience and not saying like, "Hey, everyone, this is the take. 
listen to what we have to say about this. We're just saying like, this is what we experienced. And hopefully you can relate to that and find value in that and, and something that's interesting. Yeah. And I know, I no doubt that I've said some things that are probably very dumb and much smarter people than I are, are probably like, how, you know, how did you not see this? Or how could you even think of saying what you said? But yeah. I don't really care because these, we don't pretend that these are, like you said, these aren't the answers to these questions. Yeah. They're just, but, but no critic is a, above that. And every yeah. critic is going to have some moment where they come off like an idiot or... Jay Sherman never came off like an idiot. Yeah, that's true. It stinks. Isn't you, that was the, I did, no, I, that he was, was great. Yeah, he was the, the critic. critic. He was the critic. Hachimachi. That's where. Yeah, it there came you go. <laughs> uh, um, I think that's a thing with with social media and Tony and I are both on this website called Letterbox, which you can keep a diary of the movies you watch. So you just log movies. It's great because it's the best social media website because you don't need to interact with anyone in order to have value from it. But you can fo- follow other people and and see what they write about movies and stuff. And through this site, I've learned that every movie has every opinion imaginable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like nothing is, there's like this idea that Rotten Tomatoes has gotten down to it, boiled it down and like this movie's good and this is bad. It's just not true. And if if there's like a movie that you think is reviled, you go on Letterboxd, there's someone that loves that movie and they can defend it passionately and and do it in a way that that may make you think. And so I think with that in mind, you just kind of go in like, this is just how I experience this because that's what all it is. That's all any art is, is an experience really. And you're just trying to communicate that experience. The downside of Letterboxd is checking it as I'm in line to buy a ticket and I see that Matt saw the thing the day before and he either loved it or hated it. And I was like, ah, oh, no. Tell us a little bit about um, like what goes into making an episode because it seems like a fairly substantial time commitment <laughs> like for the amount that you guys are producing. Uh, I guess you're just, you know, uh, digging into your baser nature of <laughs> pop loving. So it's like you're, you would be doing it anyway. But I mean, how much in general, do you put into each episode? We learn fairly recently. (laughs) We're still learning like the amount of work that we should be putting into it. And typically, the biggest problem is that we just take on too broad of a subject. Mm -hmm. So then you have to do more research. And so we're slowly learning that like, instead of reading 50 issues of a comic book maybe three will suffice <laughs> yeah 50 issues we, we never didn't actually do that. did that oh, no geez. no i handed him a, a, a big collection i'm like let's just narrow this down right. but we did cover the venture brothers and i took it upon myself well, let me backtrack a bit we plan pretty far in advance uh so we have enough time to to read and watch and listen and etc um so we did an episode on the Venture Brothers and I was like, oh, well, we've got several months. I might as well see how much I could watch. And we found a Navy Club uh, list of like 10 episodes to watch. Yeah, but, but I, it's, it's very serialized. It's very it would have been hard out of context. Yeah. So I started, I've never seen it and Tony had already seen it. So we started right at the beginning and I watched like six seasons and oh it's like two months, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was overwhelming because it was just so much in information. And I, I showed up, I'm like, I'm really overwhelmed. And he's like, well, we'll be fine. And then like afterwards, I was like, I don't know how that went. And we edited it and it came out well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but we, I learned from that. So like we did an X-Files episode and we did four episodes. Mm. So like that's much smarter. Of course, that show is a little more standalone, so it's yeah. easier to talk about. But we also did Queen and we decided that was our first music episode and we wanted to understand Queen so we did four albums and we attempted to play like almost every track off of each album. And that was just a lot. Yeah. Or the, the most glaring, um, yeah, I'm saying it, it's a misstep just because it probably wasn't the best way to tackle this, but, um, you had never played Metal Gear Solid and I've been a fan for a very long time. Uh, so we set up, uh, an emulator. You played about an hour, then we ran out of time and then you went on vacation for a bit. And then I sent you a four-hour YouTube video of a playthrough, so you just watched it. No, I think it was like <laughs> six hours. Uh, it may oh have been. God. It was and you really watched the long. whole thing and pieces. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, again, for something like a video game, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So we've 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 tentatively scheduled another video game one for sometime eventually, and we'll allow Matt to just play through it on his own time and then come together and talk. We actually about it. be able to speak about the the experience of playing it as opposed to the things we ended up talking about with metal gear. But yeah. And, uh, it's it just, you know, we're learning to have, you know, sometimes our, um, our eyes are bigger than our stomachs as it were, but we're, we're figuring out how to, how to rein that in a little bit, stay on topic. Yeah. We've picked a few books that are coming up that are, I think under 200 pages. So that's easier oh, than like, you know, 400 page books. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been tricky to figure out how to take notes, how I want to take notes and how I want to apply that to the show. Because I do, like I said, I consume so much that sometimes it's just about a matter of recalling very, very specific plot points. So Tony's better at that in the sense like, we'll be talking about something like, yes, that did happen and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh yeah. So it's about figuring out like, oh, how do I take notes? So some recent things I've kind of done, like, just for myself to remember, I've done like, all right, these are the broad plot points. And I wrote the whole thing out just so I have a way of retaining it um, rather than like talking about it broadly. Uh, and that's been helpful as like a guidepost. Yeah. At the end of the day, we don't want it to just be a sort of recitation of the Wikipedia page. We want it to be a conversation about our experience with it, what we thought was fascinating, and hopefully what we think other people will think is fascinating, as opposed to just rattling off anecdotes that we've read about. And, you know, that, you know, the, that research informs the conversation, certainly. But um, yeah, it, it took us a while to sort of find that rhythm. And not that we were ever necessarily just reading stuff, you know line and verse or anything like that but yeah what about you guys do you guys have any pop culture blind spots that you're particularly embarrassed about uh, not embarrassed about well we're can, not trying to shame may, maybe maybe we talk about pop culture blind spots the other person has that we're embarrassed about mm. oh okay right because i mean jp and i actually come from i think two similar perspectives or two like similar like we both grew up like loving video games but jp has never read any of the harry potter books but he's seen all the movies oh, oh okay um so for multiple times i've seen all the movies yeah, yeah. like loves harry potter but uh, hasn't read the books right and literally uh, just can't get me to read them yeah I, <laughs> handed I, me a book and he's I like you just keep one. it <laughs> like, keep it. You put Great. it in the bathroom. You read I was like, I'm just going to put it in the bathroom. I'll read it in there. And then it, like, it just, I never even made it in. Yeah. I know. 
I watch those movies all day long, though. I, I, I thought you were going to mention video games specifically because I used to be a really big video game fan, and now I can't bring myself to do it, play them anymore because I just feel like what's that? Why? Because you, I feel like I should be doing something else. I should be doing something more I'm the productive. Same way, yeah. Like I, I love them, and then when I play them, they're great. I'll put a little bit of time into them occasionally. Like sometimes Steve will like sit me down at one, and I'll play it with him, and then I'll we'll play for like three hours or something, right? Very rarely, but occasionally. Um, but yeah, otherwise I'm like, I should be like writing something or I should be like listening to a book or, or I don't know, like walking around with my baby or something. <laughs> Maybe I should do that one. But, um, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't bring myself to do it. I don't know. Yeah. I was in a rut for a long time. Um, you know, kind of in a, a rough mental space and I was just, I realized, oh, I'm. 70 hours in a Final Fantasy 15 out of spite. Like I had not enjoyed a moment of that game in a very long time. And I was just grinding through it. I'm like, sure, I'll go collect these frogs for that lady. Why not? The game wants me to do it. I'm going to do it. And like, that's the wrong way to approach doing something that you love to do. So I've sort of moderated a bit because it is weird that I could spend a day reading a book or you know, could decide, you know what, I'm going to put a three hour movie on right now. Mm. And that doesn't feel like wasted time, but there is it something yeah, about something very different about games. Yeah. You can, I can watch, I mean, and I don't like even, uh, there's a lot of things I can't bring myself to do sometimes if I don't feel, if I feel like I'm wasting time, if, but I, I, I can justify like if I'm with, you know, Nicole and like, she's like, Hey, let's watch this movie. Like that doesn't feel like wasted time for some reason, but mm-hmm. it's still, yeah, two or three hours that I just put in. But yeah. What's your reasoning for not playing games, just the same thing. You can't. Yeah, I learned early on that it, when I get into it, I get into it. Yeah. And then it becomes the only thing that consumes my time. So I've kind of learned that I have to choose things that I can only maybe dip in at a half hour to an hour at the time at the most. Uh, and I've recently been playing a little more. And I think it's partly because of the podcast. Um, just because we've been talking about it. So it's like, oh, you know, I have a Switch and so I'll, I'll play a game here and there and mm. stuff. Uh, but recently, like, I just got, the, uh, they put, they released Tetris 99. Mm. Uh, and I just got, I got in way too deep because <laughs> Tetris is like one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. And I was just, just <laughs> utterly consumed by it. And so I had to just like, I have to walk away. You're playing against 99 other people. So they can target you. So there's all these different modes for targeting. So you could target people that are doing really well. You can target people that are doing poorly. Or you could do like a random target, et cetera, et cetera. So sometimes if you're doing really well, you could just get bombarded. And so like if like five people get Tetrises, then y- y- the meter builds up and you're going you're gonna to get screwed. It's just going to, you know, so there's been times where I'm playing and I'm like a clear screen and all of a sudden it's just full. So... It's so much fun, but it's intense because it's just like fast pace, and and I I love Tetris. What's uh What's my uh, pop culture blind spot? Uh, the Beatles. Any type of music except uh, like indie and and uh, actually Matt Matt nailed, Matt actually got it. The, the Beatles? Beatles. Yeah. Oh. So I've I've listened to so much modern music mm-hmm. that listening to the Beatles for me has been like. Why is this even interesting anymore? Wow. Yeah. That's right. how I feel about a lot of older, like influential music to the stuff I love now. Is like I listen to it, I'm like, I get why this was amazing at the time, but because I've heard everything that 
like see i'm the opposite i'm the opposite used and reused those same tricks over and over and over again so it's like everything doesn't feel everything they do i feel like i've heard it see yeah i'm like anytime i hear something new i'm just like oh well why don't i just go listen to the band that did this like you're not doing anything interesting with this there's so many bands with like you know two guitarists and bass player and drums like yeah i've heard every version of this do something to excite me <laughs> there was one time i was talking about some band you're like what do they sound like i'm like i don't know they're like garage rock and you're like who cares <laughs> <laughs> i was like jesus on Christ, mic man on no mic? i was just in a regular conversation uh, <laughs> no he brutalizes you in real life not yeah he mic. does uh, <laughs> no i'm probably on mic too no yeah. we haven't had any big disagreements no i'm looking forward to the first one though yeah i am too but yeah. to your point steve i i i understand that um for me uh with film especially that was um I, I don't I don't find it as much of an obstacle now. Um but I think certainly when I was younger, if you know, if I see if I saw something I was really into and, and they point to something older as a point of reference, uh I had a hard time sort of sort of removing everything that came after it. Um I think a lot of it had to do too and like uh, this is not me saying this is not me putting my judgment on myself onto you in this instance. But like, I think when you're younger and you have a narrower scope and frame of reference, it's, it's harder to maybe connect the dots. Cause there's probably a lot of dots in between the thing you just saw and the thing that they're pointing to in the first place, a lot of permutations and changes and evolutions of things along the way. And yeah, it can be hard to, cause sometimes it might just be, you know, if a filmmaker is saying, Oh yeah, this such and such was a huge influence on me, but like maybe it's just one scene. So you're watching two hours. You're like, but where was I'm you, you're looking for what you just saw, but with different people in it. And sometimes that can be the wrong approach. And it took me a while to sort of retrain my brain to not look for that kind of thing. The specificity. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, sort of interesting. And I'm actually experiencing it in this moment is the desire to dig into the Beatles now and try to figure out if there's something there that I haven't seen. Right, like oh, you should to to see. All right, what's what's the thing? To do we want to do a Beatles episode? <laughs> yeah, Steve, come on, yeah, let's do yeah. it. Have you uh, have you gone into the Beatles at all? Do you? I've probably listened to like three Beatles songs in my whole life. Wait, you're the same. This feels oh, yeah. this feels yeah. like a challenge. Oh, this is we're we're we're, we're doing a Beatles episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, we're gonna make the Beatles big. You do something special when you get someone's attention, and it's not about like necessarily capitalizing on it it's about sharing your enthusiasm about a thing and it's honestly infectious like i you know to kind of go back to the the queen episode i was floored with how much i was actually like i don't know that song i don't know that song i don't know that song i literally had thought i'd heard every queen song because i'd heard all the songs that people listened to and it was like i had no idea about this like other life of this band um that it was it was one of those things like oh yeah you know it was like for a non-queen fan it was like this was way more interesting than i thought it would be and i even talked with jp about it like and originally it was like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to stick with this and then i did and like a month and a half later i was like that i'm still thinking about that episode like oh thank you very much yeah it's i really yeah it stuck with me and i love music so like that it was like a nice entry point you know into into your show but I, I think that that's, I don't know, for me, that was like one of the special things about what did we miss is, is that, I don't know, it just it gives you something to chew on beyond the, 
you know, the episode itself. It's like it, it kind of lives longer than the podcast does. Um, and I appreciate that. You had asked earlier about, oh, how do you make choices? And I think what I love about a lot of the podcasts that I listen to is they help me make choices. So if you're listening to something like Unspooled, where they're going through the AFI Top 100 or Blank Check, um, where they do filmographies, you know, director filmographies, that helps me to make selections because then I have something to listen to. So I know our hope a lot of times is that, you know, someone will see what's coming up and they'll be like, oh, well, I'm going to read this comic or I'm going to watch this movie and listen along with with the show and and hopefully get something out of it, you know, because it is fun to listen to something and hopefully people are listening along and yelling at us for our stupid ideas because that's what we do when we listen to stuff too. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you, you both have had your lives changed, transformed by basically interacting with and experiencing other people's art. Why is it important for you to share that experience with other people? I think it goes back to when you're passionate about something and you, you're sharing something that you love, hopefully it opens them up to new experiences. That's always the goal is to keep this conversation going. I'm always looking to have conversations about any form of pop culture. Um, when Tony pitched the idea to me, he just sent it in a text. This is the premise of the show. Do you want to do this? And I just responded saying, yes. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. And then we met up and we outlined it in that first day. And then we just started picking everything out and then proceeded from there. Because this is what we did. We did this before the podcast. You want to grab a coffee? Yeah. We get together and we'd shoot the shit. Three hours later. We're- yeah. And we were talking about the same exact things. So it just kind of it, it felt like a no brainer. And so to extend that to other people, to hopefully be a part of that conversation um, that's exciting. And, and hopefully people get excited about that and want to listen and participate and, and fill in their own pop culture blind spots. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have any, um, you know, grand plans for this show. I think, you know, even if it's just facilitating or, uh, sort of having a, a, a conversation four friends who might not be in the room when we're having it. Um, you know, I, I, like Matt said, we, we, we tend to just fall down these rabbit holes anyway. Um, and we know that we're not alone. Um, you know, we can't be the only white 30 somethings with a pop culture podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, we're not, we know we're not alone in, in having these, uh, big ideas and these long-winded conversations. And I think the idea is just to put it out there and share it. And if people are receptive to it and, and engage with it in one way or another, I mean, you ended up learning a bit about queen having, you know, already thought you knew everything you needed to know about queen. And like, that's great. That's, that's enough. Well, thank you both for being on the show. It was really cool to talk with you. And I, I think we are more excited about digging into something unfamiliar or new you know that we haven't kind of looked at before as a result of talking with you guys about it so thanks very much thank you it's it's it's, i really appreciate you guys having us on yeah uh for listeners out there steve and jp are our podcast sugar daddies i think i need to venmo you for (laughs) this month's bill (laughs) (laughs) thanks a lot guys
Thanks again to Tony and Matt for joining us. We had a lot of fun with them. Just in case you missed it, the name of their show is called What Did We Miss? And you can find it wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you got this one. You can learn more about What Did We Miss by visiting our site, youcandoitduet.com. Also, we heard from a few folks that you're interested in supporting the show. So you can do so via Patreon. Actually, go to youcandoitduet.com slash Patreon. And we've got a few uh, levels for membership and patronage there. And, uh, you know, we'd be super grateful if you kicked us a couple of bucks for doing the show on a semi-weekly basis. So thanks again to Night Swim for the use of their song Fiji as the theme song for the show. And thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And we're glad you uh, glad you count us among your podcasts that you spend some time with on a weekly basis. So we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Bye.